podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. And we're back. Welcome to the Who's Place podcast, the WhoCast. It's a brand new year, and this is season three, episode one. Whose Place has changed a bit. We just migrated to a new platform this week. But the WhoCast remains the same. I'm your host, Val Perhasta, and joining me from our, as always, socially distant studio is Who's Place founder and our producer, Seattle Who. Welcome. It's uh, good, good to have you aboard as we turn three. Yes, we are turning three. Um, absolutely thrilled to be here. I know it's been a long time since our last podcast, which was in June, and there was a couple of gaps. It's been a while since we've been weekly, but we're going to be weekly now. There's been a, you know, obviously a lot going on in society, and there's been a lot going on uh, in my life as well, and also for uh, whose place. Uh, I don't think anybody knows, but in July, uh, my dad got sick, and I went to, back to Virginia to, you know, to be with him in the hospital and, and with my mom. Uh, and then um, he wound up I, – I came back. He got out of the hospital, and I came back, and I was laid low with COVID. And then uh, shortly after I got sick, uh, my dad had to go back in the hospital, and he passed away. So uh, as soon as I was recovered from COVID, I went back to Virginia to, you know – take over things for my mom and, and help her out and she actually had to go to the hospital too so for you know a good it was two months between when I left the first time and when I was back home here in Seattle with uh, everything kind of taken care of so that that's probably the biggest reason there were no podcasts over the summer and then uh, been a lot of changes with whose place I, I'm moving it to the new server because the the original one was basically all custom code that I wrote in PHP and JavaScript and all that. And, uh, you know, the technology changes and moves ahead. And I'm not a professional programmer, so I, I didn't feel able to keep up with the technology. And I felt like there were going to be vulnerabilities and, and things like that in, in the code that were going to eventually cause trouble. And, you know, I the, the Internet is just it, – it brings to mind, the you know, what – Obi-Wan Kenobi said, going into Moss Eisley Spaceport, it, it's it, it's unbelievable. And I would look at my access logs and the error logs to see what's going on. It's just that this website has it's just under constant assault from hackers and spammers and scammers, and it's just constant. I guess every web, website on the web is because you know we're nothing in the grand scheme of things. But so I wanted to get. Um, professional platform and and that's what we have now it's a professional platform and so it's gonna be a lot more secure and and eventually when i'm done with the conversion i'll be able to focus mostly on content and not spend nearly as much of my time doing hunting down bugs and and stuff like that so but anyway you know that's that's the real thing though is that we want you to be able to you know the love is is the who's and our sports programs and not programming, right? I mean, you're in love with, uh, you know, a basketball team and not JavaScript. Right? Yeah, I, I love the writing and I love making the videos and I really enjoy doing this podcast. And I mean, I like programming, but it's, you know, it's it's really stressful and and difficult. So so that that's kept us from being able to do the podcast. And now we're in the process of moving, buying a house. I'm moving out of Seattle. I'm not even going to be in Seattle anymore. I'm going to be on, on Whidbey Island, uh, which uh, a lot of people will know uh, who listen to us because they know the Navy, and there's a, a naval inst- installation on Whidbey Island. But um, so well, that's... We have family on Whidbey Island, so I know exactly oh, nice. where you're moving okay. to. Yeah, we're going to be... We're moving to Coopville. It's an area called Admiral's Cove. It's very close to the Coopville outlying field, that Navy satellite airfield. So it's it's just beautiful. And the city is kind of dead. The city, the downtown area was, was in a process of dying before COVID hit it. And now it's just, the things that we loved about living here are pretty much not even true anymore. And it's between the the, the tech douches, drag racing their quarter million dollar Italian cars at 2.30 in the morning and, you know, all the 
the police helicopters and and being overrun with um, you know homeless it, it it's just not what it was and um, so with the work from home the ability to work from home we can move and oh, my mom's going to be with us so anyway that's what's been going on that's that's why we haven't been broadcasting and now we're kind of getting back to where we can get into it yeah well that's that's awesome i mean i learned to uh water ski in skagit bay so oh nice uh, yeah so yeah we're gonna get kayaks it's a gorgeous place to live so yeah, I'm excited. We were supposed to close. We were supposed to close on the 30th, but we just found out today that it's going to be pushed back two weeks because uh, the the housing market is so insane and the appraisers are so busy that no appraisers wanted to go out to Woodby Island to do the appraisal, and so they were only able to find one who's who will come out in early November. So they're going to have to push the closing back, but that's fine. I mean, we have a lease here. We don't. We can afford to wait, so it, it's it's really not a big deal. But well, congratulations on the house. Thank so. you. Thank you. So that's where uh, just the state of the state of of whose place, and uh, so we're going to start off uh, with uh, with football. Um, you know, as uh, anybody who's listening to this knows, you know we're. ACC was one of the three original Power of Five conferences to go ahead with a uh, a full slate, uh, or mostly a full slate of uh, of games, and we've gotten um, gotten spanked, I think, each the last two weeks. Lost to Clemson two weekends ago. Lost to uh, lost to NC State uh, over this past weekend. And that's a little frustrating, I think. Yeah, and you know, I think you and I were talking earlier that we we both actually were opposed to playing the games this year because of COVID, and it's so. I you know, it's I'm happy to see that it it looks like everything's going okay. There aren't there haven't been any disasters, and most of the teams seem to be you know staying basically healthy, um, and and I would say. From what I've seen on the colleges, I, I think the sports teams are doing better than the the general student bodies. So it, it looks like the well, of course they are. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's just so much more guidance. I mean, you know, so this football team's got what a hundred players on it, mm-hmm. and how many staff members are on the football staff? I right. mean, by the time you look at trainers and tutors, and I mean, it's it's got to be what a four to one ratio, three to one ratio of of advisors who are constantly monitoring i mean my son is in school right now and there is nobody monitoring him i mean he's making his way by himself right so you know if if there were if there were to be groups of of people who were going to be able to handle this better i would think it would be sports teams um so you know i think it's a good thing now obviously you know coronavirus struck you know our first game was supposed to be against virginia tech um that was postponed because uh you know of an outbreak of of coronavirus on the virginia tech team right and you know that was part of the bargain of playing sports was that you know there were going to be teams that if they got hit you know we weren't going to play a game and maybe once upon a time, if there was that kind of injury rash, there might be a forfeit. But, you know, the game's just postponed, you know, because we want to keep, you know, our student-athletes as absolutely safe as possible. Right. Um, and we want we want know, the games to be played. It's, you know, I, it's easy to be cynical and, and focus on the money. And, you know, the universities depend on the football money especially greatly in the athletic departments and and all that but ultimately i think back to last spring and and the heartbreak of you know guys like mamadi diakite and, and braxton key and and all their fellow seniors across the country not having the opportunity to play the acc tournament and to play the ncaa tournament and you know those they've those guys lost that forever 
And so at least it's nice that, that these players, you know, they are getting to play, they, they are getting to pursue those dreams and have those experiences maybe not the same as in front of stadiums full of screaming fans, but you know, to the vast majority of these guys, the game is the thing, and and they have the game. So, hey, you know, it, it seems like they're they're generally doing a good job, and the, the players' safety isn't being risked. So I'm I'm glad that they're getting to play. Um, hopefully, they'll play better starting Saturday than they played this past Saturday. And um, now, confession, I'll, I'll be the one to. It. Nobody, I think I don't know that anybody from whose place watched the game. I guess, I guess Aaron watched it because he posted that really good story. But uh, St. Lou didn't get the chance to watch it. You didn't watch it. I didn't watch I didn't it. And um, you and I were talking. Neither one of us really watches a lot of football anymore. Anyway, I didn't watch the Clemson game. Um, I think the Clemson game. I was still house hunting. The NC State game. I was out enjoying my new car so um (laughs) (laughs) well i i would uh if i had a new car i think i would have been driving that instead of watching uh, watching that game it's just Um, disappointing that game it's disappointing that game played out the way it did because you know from what i got off of twitter and and reading who am's article it, it sounds like the who's just didn't come ready to play i don't know why they didn't come ready to play but you know it's kind of embarrassing well, you know, there is there is a skill to having your team amped and ready to play from the opening whistle. And I do confess that as a soccer coach who's coached for 30 years, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, my teams, I mean, I've had, you know, five travel teams and a high school team that, you know, won a division title. My teams have never come out on fire. And I've tried 10 or 12 different pre-game warm-ups, I've tried, you know, I've tried dozens of things. Mm-hmm. My teams always come out slow. So there's obviously a skill to it. We've come out slow two weeks in a row. And, you know, there's lots of skill sets to being a great coach. And Broncos got many of them. But, you know, he's struggling getting us coming out on fire. And, you know, we're not going to be good enough to beat anybody coming back from 14-0 down, 17-0 down. And to be fair, a lot of it is is his quarterbacks throwing the ball to the other team. It's <laughs> it's hard to come out on fire yeah. when you're turning the ball over early. And, you know, to be fair to Brennan, he's a brand-new starting quarterback. Um, and, you know, NC State's coach said after the game that Armstrong, he didn't – he wasn't recognizing the coverages that they were running, so he was just throwing the ball right to them. Uh, and that's something that, as the season goes along, that will um, be less of a factor. You know, he'll he'll get better at his recognition, just like a you know a freshman point guard in basketball. Just with the experience, he'll start seeing things sure. that he's seen before. And and uh, you know, I'm sure knowing Bronco and and knowing our players, I'm sure Brennan's watching a ton of film to. You know, to figure out what's going on back there. So, well, sure. I mean, this is his chance in life. You know, I mean, to to start and grab the brass ring, and mm-hmm. this is part of the problem of you know playing in a pandemic. Is that you know he would have had a couple more games, um, you know, easier. You know, just right. out of conference late, it's a little bit easier. The losses don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of you know playing for the playing for the division title, uh, and we've all been robbed of that. You know, the you know, all the ACC teams. You know, most of them just came out starting to play ACC games, and you know it's happening here. You know, if if ninety percent of the schools out there have shut down and buttoned up until the spring, you know there is no there is no breaking in period, mm-hmm. and we've got a brand new quarterback and he's the guy who needed the breaking in and, and he was, he lost that. So it's, it just means that, you know, by the third game of the season, he's still, still trying to figure out how to get, how to get started and how to get going at ACC caliber play. And it's, it's difficult. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if it was easy, you and I would have played, you know? It's right. hard, you know? Yeah, I, I so think... I think what might be more disappointing is is how much the defense seems to be struggling because giving up a lot of points and I know a lot of third and long conversions against Clemson, but you know of course that's Clemson, but give up thirty eight points to NC State. And... Well, it's hard when you have a block punt and a pick six, you know, and it's just, but it it is, you know, your you, your point is your point is taken, but it, um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know. My football ended in high school, but you know when your defense is on fire, your offense you know picks up, and it's when your offense is struggling, you've got to be a really great defense to be able to say you're going to pick up the offense and carry mm-hmm. them on our. I think when your offense is struggling, it's more likely that your defense is going to struggle too. Yeah, it can get demoralizing. Um, I used to watch it year after year after year back in the seventies with the Giants. You know they. They had even even in the seventies when that team was terrible. They had good defenses, and they had defenses that they'd be great for three quarters, and then they would crack in the fourth quarter, and Roger Staubach would go crazy, or you know Billy Kilmer, or actually sure. Sonny Jorgensen would come in for a Kilmer in the fourth quarter and like lead two touchdown drives. But the offense was terrible through the seventies, and I think eventually a defense gets demoralized. Um, yeah, I think so. It's uh, you know, the the game is you know, it's it's sport is a you start at the beginning and you end at the end, and one of the reasons that makes it fascinating for those of us who watch is, you know, momentum truly shifts, and we've never been able to. We don't know yet how to measure it, but um, you know, you can see games where you know one team is just wearing another team down and all of a sudden there's a little bit of spark and it's like, you know, you're watching a completely new game. And that's why we watch sport is because of that variability. Um, I mean, I'm a fan of the theater and I would rather spend my money going to the theater than going to see a live sporting event. But, you know, if I'm going to see Hamlet, I'm pretty sure I know how it's going to end and I know how it's going to be in the middle. And, you know, I, I'm going to get what I expect, you know, and, and sport offers, you know, in a constant variability. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this emotion. And so if our offense is struggling, it's bound to affect our defense. Yeah. Those guys are standing back on the sideline together. And if the, you know, you're standing next to a wide receiver who's pissed, you know, it's going to affect the play of the defensive end. You know, it, it just it just does. Yeah. So it's it, everything everything affects everything. Well, good news uh, for the defense. Uh, it looks like Joey Blunt's going to play against Wake Forest, which is next up. Now, I know that yeah. yeah, I've been missing him. He was supposed to be a, a leader in the defensive backfield, and he's been out, so – you know, hopefully we'll start to pull it together. I I was extremely bullish, probably more than I should have been on the season. I was kind of saying eight and three, you know, is what I thought I would see because I like, you know, I I like a lot of the talent that was coming back on the defense. The the line, the linebackers, the all, really all three areas of the defense had so much, you know, top talent coming back that I was expecting. I was expecting the defense to be dominant. And to allow Brennan Armstrong and the new newly rebuilt offense time to to gel and get together on their own. So I was hoping to see, you know, 17, 14, 20, 17, that kind of stuff the first few games. I throw throw out Clemson. That you know, that's sure. just the Clemson is an illustration of the problem with college football. Um, but yeah, you know, to see you know, Duke and NC State to not be able to do better against against those teams. It's a little disappointing. I, I, I definitely expected more out of the defense. Um, but I'm sure we'll see it. I know I'm no more disappointed than they are, and there's a lot of spirit on that on that side of the ball. So um, I don't I don't know what I'll get to watch out here. I, I do I do hope to watch a football game or two at least, but 
It's just so hard to tell. Well, you know, we've got the, uh, you know, ACC network makes it a lot easier. So uh, then uh, hopefully you will. Um, I'm going to be busy this weekend, so I know I'm not watching Wake. <laughs> right. Um, and I know you're struggling to get to see the women's soccer games, huh? Well, it's it's it has been hard. I mean, our, our first game of the season uh, opened up against uh, Virginia Tech uh, for the women. It, uh, you know, we had uh, in eleven game season this uh, this fall, eight games count for the ACC. Virginia is playing only ACC teams, so we had two games this year against Virginia Tech that were not ACC games, and then we were supposed to play UNC last Thursday as our third out of ACC games, um, that was canceled. So the first game against Virginia Tech, just not, just not broadcast at all. Huh. Um, you know, there's only so many you can see. Uh, and that was frustrating just because, you know, like, where's all the cameras, you know, we've been a country crying out for sports and the ACC starts and an uh, in-state rivalry game wasn't even on, wasn't even broadcast. It was frustrating. Yeah. What? Um, uh, why was the Carolina game canceled? Do you know? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so the uh, the story of this season is it, Virginia. So the the, the official um, explanation was due to uh, injuries and COVID nineteen issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story for the women this season is injuries, and I haven't seen a team hit. So by injuries this season, I think we have had injured uh, seven of our top 15 players. Jeez. Uh, Taryn Torres, uh, senior captain and defensive metronome, has not played at all this season. Um, Alexa Spanstra, who I would say, well, she she's missed four games. Uh, rumor has it it's a high ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't come back from those. Um, Talia Stoudy, who was going to be the leader of our defense, given that we lost three out of our four starting defenders, right. has missed the last two games. Cam Lexo, who's maybe 16 or 17 on the depth chart, uh, missed two games. Uh, Anna Sumter, who another senior captain and probably the player who I thought was most improved last year, missed two games for injury. Uh, Samar Gidry, who's one of our two stellar freshmen, missed two games. She had her foot in a boot. And then just this last game that we played, we lost Sydney Zandi. I'm going to bet it's an ACL just based on, you know, she was running on a wet ground and mm-hmm. she collapsed in the heat before anything happened. I'm betting she lost it. So that's seven players right there. And then we've also had two players who are who have not been who've just not played. Um, one player missed two games, another player missed another, and there was no explanation. And I have to think that those players are maybe under coronavirus quarantining just given that even the announcers aren't mentioning them at all. I mean, we, we, you know, injuries matter, but we're obviously trying to, you know, maintain everybody's privacy. Mm-hmm. So just when a player just doesn't get named at all, <laughs> um, I'm going to read that as a, as a, as a COVID, mm-hmm. you know, issue. So that was, so missing right now for the game last week against, you know, we would have lost, we would have been out, um, seven of our top 15 players. Wow. So um, the game was initially postponed for half a day, and then they, they came out pretty quickly and says it says it was canceled. Um, so it's it's been hard, you know, just we lost our entire midfield. Um, all four of our – the four starting midfielders we, you know, presumed to have at the beginning of the season have all missed serious time uh you know and Taryn Torres hasn't played yet and Cindy's then he's not going to play for the rest of the season I presume so I be, how many games how many games have they played now 
Uh, we have played uh, six games. Okay. And we are four one and one. Okay. And we have we've been struggling to score. Um, and it's that's a strange thing to to hear. Um, the since the beginning of the 2011 season, so that's 10 years now, Virginia is the leading scoring team in the country. Wow. It's over Stanford, over UNC, over Penn State. Um, but we have scored just seven goals um, in these games. And How much of that has to do with the weather? I think, I don't know if it was oh, on air or off air, but you said it's, uh, it's rain. It's been bad. And it's certainly... That's certainly part of it. Um, we were denied a goal against Duke. We tied Duke. Everybody ties Duke. I think last year Duke had, um, of their 10 ACC games, I think Duke had five ties last wow. year, seven overall. So everybody ties Duke. So we <laughs> tied Duke. We did lose. We had a goal that should have been called the goal, and it wasn't. Uh-huh. And, you know, college soccer does have um, uh does have bit, uh, instant replay, uh-huh. and like everything, I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the exact, you know, verbiage for it, but I'm sure, you know, if you go to video, it has to be incontrovertible right. um, to overcall it, and it, it just wasn't incontrovertible, mm-hmm. and uh, we should have beaten Duke, uh, but we we didn't, you know, you can blame the refs all you want, so it's been. Um, we're just not scoring, and you know there has been no consistency. Um, you know, by the time you know we lost Karen Torres, then we lost uh, Alexis Sanstra, then we lost Sumter. By the time Sumter comes back, she gets the game in. Now we've lost Sydney Zandy. It's been it's been hard. So there's no there's no consistency, and you know for everybody who's playing in any sport. Heck, and kids going to school, you know. All these things, most of our activities that we do in life are cyclical and based on repetition. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we as just, everything in society is non, is, is the, the opposite of repetition and cyclical. Mm-hmm. So every single coach has had to rejigger his uh, training program. And, and, you know, so it's been hard. There is no consistency. Uh, every position has been hurt to some degree. Um, the rotations that, that Swanson planned on using last spring, you know, he threw those out. Right. You know, like you know, like like bad bathwater. Um, the issue is going to be that. So we are playing for in this fall for fall sports, um, volleyball, um, field hockey. Uh, men's and women's soccer, all of these in the Power Five conferences, at least, are having their conference championships in the fall, just as they normally do. Mm-hmm. And then the NCAA tournaments for their respective sports are all going to be held in the spring. So with soccer, both men's and women's, we're allowed to schedule 20 games between the spring and the fall season. Okay. So... Virginia scheduled 11 games, which means we'll have nine games that will all be out of conference, you know, all exhibition games, as it were, in the spring, available to us, you know, depending on how they um, on, on how they schedule them. And but the, the, the big change is that women's soccer is um, just like just like men's basketball. The, the, the tourney is, is basically, you know, 64 teams mm-hmm. and. There are 31 conferences that are going to have an automatic bid. But because of, for some reason, I'm not sure why, the NCAA thought it would be more prudent to only have a 48-team NCAA field. And so there's still 31 conferences, which means there's only 17 at-large bids. And Are there, are there teams and conferences that are not playing? There's only four. There's only four conferences right now playing right now at all, um, and so presumably most of them are going to play in the spring. There might be some conferences that just figure that it's 
too expensive. You know, all mm-hmm. the the low the low majors, right. you know, may not play at all just because it's too expensive to test and and to do everything. So there may not but even be an now, NCAA tournament, really, or they might have to make it even smaller. Well, uh, you know, any every every single profession so far, you know, or an announcement is obviously subject to a real big asterisk. So, right. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, they're planning on a 48-team tournament, and that leaves only 17 at-large bids, mm. and we're struggling. And, and you know, you, UVA may go into the ACC tournament needing to play to the, you know, play to the final right. to earn an ACC, to turn an NCAA bid. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's how most teams across the country <laughs> – Enter their eight, their tournament plays, whether it's you know men's or women's basketball or men's or women's soccer. Right. You know you gotta you got you gotta win the games. <laughs> so um, what's you know there's only so many con- so many teams that have gotten to that status that even if they flame out in the first week they're still going to get invited. And Virginia would normally be one of those. I mean we're one of the you know mm-hmm. ten best programs in the country, but this year we may find ourselves in the ACC tournament having to, you know, advance to win. But I don't know how selectors are going to view a a spring schedule of, you know, games that are, quote, meaningless. Right. Um, You know, so it'll be, there's a lot of pressure, I think, or I'm feeling pressure. I don't know if the coaches or the players are feeling it, but uh, that number 17, 17 at-large bids strikes me as really huge. And, we play in a conference that's got UNC and Florida State looking as strong as ever, and um, Louisville and Notre Dame has started out strong, and we're not going to play UNC to try to take them down a peg. We're not going to play Notre Dame to be able to knock them down a peg. We, we've got our work cut out for us over the over the next four games. So, um, what's up this coming week? Well, um, the we've got uh, Louisville uh, next Thursday, and then the Biggie uh, week from Sunday. We've got uh, we've got Florida State, and that will be that will be huge. Florida State is very, very, very good. Now they a, have to travel a week up. from Sunday. Yeah, so it's the uh, so like that's almost two weeks because this is Monday. We're recording on Monday. Monday. Yeah. October twelfth, formerly Columbus Day. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So this Thursday, this Thursday is um, this Thursday is the the um, Louisville game. Okay. Uh, so that is the fifteenth. Fifteenth, yeah. And then the eighteenth, this Sunday, is uh, is Florida State. Oh, okay. So it is this week. So we have two games this week: yeah. Thursday and Sunday. We do. All right. Great. We do. Well, it sounds. I mean, you mentioned Louisville earlier, so it sounds like with Louisville and Florida State, it's a big opportunity for the the team to position itself. Well, that it is. You know, I mean, you got to beat the teams above you. Currently, they stand. Both those teams are are ahead of us in the ACC race, and mm-hmm. the way you make any race tighter is you beat the team above you. I mean, if you're four one one, I can't be but too far ahead of you. Yeah, well, we're only two one and one in the ACC. Oh, okay. What's still? Florida Florida State's undefeated at four and zero, and Louisville is three and one. So we are two one and one in the uh, in the ACC. So we have a chance to leapfrog Louisville. And and where is that game? Uh, Both games are here. Both games are at at home, which is which is nice because one of the problems, obviously, about that's come up, you know, over this is that, you know, schools, again, part of the bargain was, you know, we're going to have our athletes spend the night in their own hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Virginia, I don't know what it was like for the football team, but, you know, when when Virginia went down to Clint over a four-day span, Virginia woke up Thursday morning, drove down to Duke, you know, played a game, you know, got back in the buses at 10 or 11 at night, drove all the way back to Virginia, and then two days later on a, and then three days later on a Sunday morning, you know, got up at 
I don't know, six o'clock to drive to Clemson, which is over six hours from yeah. Charlottesville to play yeah. a three o'clock game. Um, we were spanked. We came out slow, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that was, you know, there wasn't, you know, that was the, the routine. The routine was disrupted. So it's nice that both these teams have to travel to us. So yeah, I was just getting ready to ask, you know, how many are are these games being played in front of fans, or are there no fans? Um, it depends. You know, each school can have their own has their own set of standards. <laughs> so you know, for instance, the Virginia um, for both Virginia and Virginia Tech, and all the schools in the Virginia system are no fans. Mm-hmm. Um, there were fans in the stadium between uh, Duke and North Carolina just played uh, last thir- on Thursday, and there were fans allowed in. I don't know how many there were. So, you know, each each school gets to determine how many fans there were. Right. Um, so Virginia is saying right now that it's it's friends and family, you know, family only and opposing coaches. Um, I know a couple of parents who in a normal season would go to just about every away game. And, you know, I don't think family is being able to go to away games. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> so there won't be any fans at the um, at either of these games. Okay. Well, I mean, there's maybe 100, 150 fans. Um, so you don't oh, really have that I'm kind not... of that kind of home field advantage. But it sounds like the travel is a bigger issue than ever. Well, it, it is bigger, and you know they've done studies that actually that the travel is what creates is a bigger factor in home field advantage yeah, I can see than, than crowd noise. Now, that also includes people who travel across time zones. Right. And we're not traveling across time zones. Although it's very interesting. So I, I was, um, Coach Swanson um, offered me uh, a ticket to, uh, to see the pit game. And so I went. And very interesting. There were five, I'm guessing they were students, you know, just based on their demeanor. Now, there were only 150 people in the stadium. It was pouring rain. So we're at Klockner. There are exactly two rows at the very, very top of the stand that are covered. So we were all up there trying to socially distance <laughs> and not get rained upon. There were five guys sitting over on the bank side. And when there is no crowd noise at all, these five guys were in some ways way more disruptive right. than they would normally be because you could hear every single thing that they said. Yeah, that and was... <laughs> they, were, they were giving the ref a real hard time, and he, he hadn't blown a call. They thought he'd blown a call, but, man, they wrote him hard. Right. And I don't know that that's uh, going good for the players because they weren't cheering, but everybody, everybody there heard the criticisms of the refs. So it was, it was kind of interesting that in that one respect, zero crowd noise was made for a completely different home field sort of advantage. Yeah, that reminds me of the uh, in 93-94 uh, season, the Hoops, we played Minnesota right after Christmas, and there was a blizzard. And so the place was almost empty, and that was my last year of school. And I went, I drove up, and I went um, – and I was right down by the end of the visitor's bench. And like you said, it was so quiet that um, all of my heckling of the refs, you, the refs could hear it. I forget which one of our favorite, one of our favorite 90s refs, he, he enjoyed some of the things I was saying to him. And uh, the other thing was the, the visitor's bench, I was just, just giving him a business for the whole Gophers thing, the Gophers um, nickname, all kinds of, you know, shall mm-hmm. we say, off off color Gopher analogies and allegories and metaphors and questions. And by the by the second half, the, the guys on the end of the bench were having a hard time concealing how they were just cracking up. And, <laughs> and, and it, yeah. it makes the other thing I'm wondering is, you know, if there are if there aren't going to be crowds of 
crazy loud fans at ACC basketball games, you know, are we going to get to hear how certain coaches um, speak during games that usually you don't hear because there's so much crowd noise? I mean, well, we certainly heard way. Yeah, we've heard way more in the NBA playoffs. Okay. Than we than than we ever heard. So there will definitely and. It took the NBA, it took the coaches a long, it took them a couple of weeks to realize that they couldn't yell at the refs the way they were used to because the voice would carry out. And yeah. a lot of times they're yelling at the refs too. I think the yelling at the ref is sometimes sort of cathartic and just, mm-hmm. you know, they're angry and they yell at the ref. Well, they're not really expecting the ref to take notice of it. But, you know, you've got a loudmouth coach yelling at a ref and there's only, you know, 80 people and it's starting, it can echo. <laughs> So, yeah, they've had to learn how to tone it down, actually. Yeah, and I mean, some coaches aren't made for family TV, you know? Definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. So, be, it'll be interesting, but I'm sure they'll have some solution for that. So, all right, well, so it sounds like big week ahead for the women's soccer team. Best of luck to Steve Sampson and, and his... his um, Swanson. I make that mistake too. Oh, Steve Swanson. Yeah. I'd, yeah. Yeah. Steve Sampson was the uh, I, men's uh, coach, the men's UVA uh, World Cup team to Pigdomini. Uh, the men's USA fights, World so. Cup, not the UVA World Cup team. We're, no, USA I think we're World getting Cup, tired so. here. Um, but my yeah, apologies to Coach Swanson. Guy. My apologies to Coach Swanson. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I was trying to think of what collective noun to use for the the team trying to be creative but um i, I want to i was trying to put my foot in it i want to put my foot in it anyway so i probably yeah. shouldn't even bother trying not to i'm sure someone's not a problem back there laughing at so, me so um transitioning to uh the sport you and i love the most um men's hoops um you told me that uh practice starts here in a couple of days right yeah, I mean, and it may even be starting by the time this episode gets edited and posted. Um, it's So it's here, and I know I'm excited, and I'm definitely trying to get all of this programming done so I can get busy back to working on the season preview. I, you know, I started back in early August writing drafts. I've got, I've got the player analysis workups for all of the returning players are already done and I've got Sam Hauser done and I was just getting ready to start on the freshmen um, which is kind of hard because with the freshmen there really is no information and it's interesting with you know like Jabri Abdur-Rahim he got hurt his senior year Carson McCorkle got hurt his senior year so neither one of them really got to play so there's very little senior year activity to you know to look at and try to analyze uh, Reese Beekman, not much of his stuff made it to video down in Louisiana, but his stats are insane. I mean, he averaged almost a triple-double and led his – I think they won the championship. I know they went to to the final game again for like the fourth time in a row, and I'm just having a hard hard time remembering if they actually won it. Uh, So, you know, he had a great senior year. Uh, but again, there's, there's just so little information that comes out of AAU in high school. There's no reliable statistics. Uh, only, only a, a few games get, you know, only a few teams get enough television and, and streaming activity that you can get any good video. So, I, you know, I really don't have much, much on those guys. Um, but in, in, you know, the UVA is, is so tight. With the information, I do know that um, apparently Beekman has been extremely impressive in the the um, warm. I got an email from one of our readers the other day who, who had picked up some tidbits, so we can expect to see a lot of Reese Beekman, uh, and of course Sam Hauser is going to have a huge impact. It, when I went, I was looking at his synergy statistics. For the the player analysis, it was very impressive. That dude is an extremely efficient player, and I was also pleased to see that he he scores very well on the defensive side as well. 
that his his defensive synergy statistics, especially on post defense, uh, were very strong. Now that comes with the caveat that there are no good statistics for defense, and the the synergy approach is better than most, but it still has its weaknesses. So it's not, especially in a a help defense kind of system like Virginia, it's just it doesn't really mean as much, but it, in terms of for comparison, it, it can give you, it can be indicative. One example is I think it showed just how much progress Cody Statman made as a defender. He shows up extremely well in those, but Hauser, I, I think there's so much focus on his three point shooting that I think there are two other parts of his, or three parts of his game that are going to be very strong, that are going to be overshadowed, and that are going to have a a big part to play in the success of the team. One is his defense. I think he's a better, he's going to be a better defender than people are expecting. I don't don't think people are going to pay any attention to it uh, because those guys that are shooters, everybody pays attention to the shooting. And I think that's why Joe Harris was extremely underrated as a defender. Uh, I never thought of him as a defender until I was breaking down video of the senior year, and I realized that when we were playing all of these high-scoring wing players and they were scoring far below their season averages against Virginia, that Joe Harris was actually the guy who was guarding them most of the time. I hadn't noticed that before, and we never talked about it. So that's one. Another area is his rebounding. Sam is a strong rebounder. He's got excellent rebounding numbers coming out of Marquette, and he's got good size. And you know in, in Tony's system and Tony's coaching that the rebound is going to be an emphasis. So I'm looking – I'm expecting to see Sam uh, show strong rebounding numbers. I don't know if he's going to get above 20% just because it, it might be difficult to get that high with Jay Huff as his running mate and, you know – People haven't quite grasped, but Jay Huff is a very strong rebounder. He's been over 20% defensive rebounding percentage for his career. Uh, very, very good rebounder. Um, and so, you know, Sam and Jay are going to give us really strong defensive rebounding, and, and that's a good foundation for the defense. And the, the third thing, strength that Hauser brings that – I think people are overlooking is his post offense. Sam Hauser is unique amongst Virginia post players in the last three or four years, uh, probably since Anthony Gill graduated, in that his post offensive numbers are very strong. Um, Our post offense the last several years has been extremely inefficient. Jay Huff, outstanding offensive player. His his post numbers terrible. Mamadi Diakite his post numbers they they improved last year, but still were never more than maybe average at the Division One level. Uh, Sam Hauser comes in. We don't want to talk about Jack Salt. No, no, you know Hauser comes in as having ranked in the nineties as a post scorer at Marquette. So Sam is a very good post player, and so. What that means to me is I'm expecting to see, uh, you know, Hauser actually running the baseline and playing more in the post than, you know, Jay Huff in the post. At least that's what I'm hoping because I like to see guys playing where they're the most productive. And, you know, Jay is not, he's just not a productive post player. Um, and, and Hauser is. So uh, those, you know, has, Obviously, the three-point shooting is the number one weapon. Hauser's a over 40% career three-point shooter. He's a lights-out catch-and-shoot guy. He's, he's a lights-out shooter. Pretty much any kind of shot. The dude can shoot every shot on the floor. He can get his own shot. He can shoot against defense. He's a 90% free-throw shooter. Uh, it's just going to make a huge difference. And what I'm excited to see will be the, the pick-and-roll offense because Jay Huff is one of the best in the country as the roll man. He's got the option to pop out for the three or roll to the hoop. He's extremely good at both. Kihei Clark runs the pick and roll very well, especially with Jay Huff. They they have some really tremendous chemistry. 
And one of the things that hurt us last season was that we had no three-point shooting. We had no corner three-point shooting. And so teams were just diving in from the corner to cover the lane. And it really it took away the role man a lot, and it, it made it difficult for Kihei when he had to drive to the hoop because there was always defense there. Well, if you've got Sam Hauser out there in the corner – you just that diving into the lane is just not a good decision and so right. you know when we're cutting down that side of the lane either the roll man rolling or, or kihei keeping it and driving down or reese beekman who you know beekman's probably gonna run that pick and roll a lot too he's very good at, at getting to the to the hoop so those guys are going to have a lot more open lanes to the hoop and especially if Walter tensai can you know, be a 40% shooter in the other corner. If you've got guys in both corners that, you know, you can't be rotated off of, it makes it extremely difficult to guard the pick and roll, especially when the roll man can also pop. And, and you know, if you're – if the guy with the ball – and this is something else Hauser, his numbers were good at. Is he was not – his numbers were weak as the pick and roll roll man, but they were very strong as the pick and roll ball handler. So this is a guy – who can take one dribble behind a screen and pull up and, and shoot the three. And the dude is 6'8". So it's not like a 6'1 guard or even a 5'9 guard trying to pull up for that. This is a 6'8 dude. So we might see – we might actually see Hauser and Hoff running running some, uh, you know, high ball screens together. It's, it's going to be interesting. The, the options this year are, are just so much stronger. And Hauser – Hauser gives you one of those superstar quality players that you have to have if you want to go deep in the NCAA tournament. It is absolutely no coincidence that UVA finally got to the Final Four in the year that they had three guys get drafted by the NBA. Because if, sure. if you look, you go all the way back, teams that make it to the Final Four, teams that win the national championship, they all have multiple future NBA players on their roster. Well, Hauser gives us that quality, that caliber of player. And he's just going to make everybody better. Um, I'm as bullish on, on UVA as I have been of any team coming into the season in, in years. I'm just super excited to to watch these guys and, and see how it all plays out. Well, um, we certainly all are. Um, you know, it's going to be uh, – there's no schedule yet. Uh, only game on the schedule that's announced is uh, – we did get uh, Villanova again. Uh, I think it was a, just a one game. Uh, we're playing up in Madison Square Garden on December 19th. Uh, but you know, it's obviously that it's obvious that both Jay Wright and Tony Bennett like each other. I mean, we had a home and home series with them just a couple years ago. Yeah, it's such a great series. Was, yeah, that that has to be played. Well. And then last, or was it two years ago, we then um, had a, uh, you know, a closed uh, inter-squad scrimmage with them. And mm-hmm. now we've got it again. I mean, if there is a young coach who's doing it right, who's maybe better than Tony Bennett, it would be Jay Wright. I mean, with a, you know, a, scan, a completely scandal-free program and two national championships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the perfect, the perfect marriage of, of teams, you know, to go at each other, you know, and, uh, you know, we're all going to be the beneficiary. And, and tactically, it's, that, it's such a fascinating matchup too, because there are two guys that go at it so differently. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Jay writes, they were at least the last couple of years, basically a drive and kick driving kick, driving kick, driving kick offense, whereas Virginia's the, the patterned repeated movement with the screening and even you know, even with even the ball screen offense is it's a continuity ball screen offense. So it's running the same pattern over and over again until you get an opening. Uh, it's just it's cla- it's the Tony Bennett way of using the high ball screen. So it's just a contrast in styles, but you know, both teams play very disciplined ball uh, Villanova it, it, you know on the defensive side their system is 
almost the tactical opposite of Virginia's, but it's still very effective. Villanova is a very strong defensive team. Nobody talks about it very much because how great their offense is, but you know they always they they have good defenses too. So yeah, that's a game that has to be played. And I know we had other. I think we have other matchups set, but as of now, there's no actual schedule. So I think we know who we're going to play for the most part. We just don't know when and where. Uh, but I do know this: the season is starting right around Thanksgiving. It's like two and a half weeks later, which is good for me because I'm so far behind on on the content and stuff. We'll, we'll start our we'll probably start our season preview November first, um, whereas usually we start it in the 15th of October, which is coming up, you know, so uh, we'll, we'll be two weeks behind on that. But because the season's starting two or three weeks late, we'll still have it all done before the season starts. And uh, we're going to have uh, – we're bringing in another writer. We have a writer, Eugene Malero, who is a professional writer, journalist, and he's going to write a weekly – ACC basketball column where he takes a look at what's going on in the conference as a whole. So that's going to add a nice perspective to our, you know, really who focused coverage. So uh, really excited about that. Uh, had a chance to talk to Eugene. Uh, he's really looking forward to it. Um, really good writer, really good guy. Uh, so definitely look out for his byline. Well, we're uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be. Um, I mean, there's a lot to like about you know this team this season. Um, you know, we've got. You know, there's the there's the question of you know how well Reese Beekman's going to you know integrate in. Uh, my favorite thought and quote, which I'll you know probably you guys will hear from me say repeat at infinitum. You know, Bennett thought that Beekman was special. That was the quote I read from him. Mm-hmm. And that is insanely high praise. And this is the first guy, the first point guard to me that Bennett has truly wanted, had to fight hard to get. Um, you know, we obviously all love Kihei, but, you know, Kihei was signed to go somewhere else, exploded, you know, Bennett recruited him for a week and he signed with us, you know, um, uh, we all love London, you know, there weren't thousands of programs, you know, trying to get London, but Beekman was extremely in demand and, and Bennett has lost out on a lot of, you know, very, very high rated point guards, but he's finally got his man in Beekman. Yeah. Let's put it and, this way. Beekman is, Beekman is the second, only the second point guard that Tony has identified early, gone after hard, as an obvious f- first priority recruit, and gotten him. And I think the first one worked out pretty well. He's um, playing with the Phoenix Suns now. That, sure. You know, Ty Jerome. Um, yeah, sure. Beek- and Beekman is that that kind of point guard that Tony's been trying to get. The real ball dominant. Um, you know, can run a break, can run, can get to the hoop. Um, you know, that kind of point guard that everybody thinks of. It's the first one that Tony's really gone after hard and been able to convince to come. So, and I think and, you're going to see you know, a lot of Kihei and Beekman together. You're going to see well, sure. a lot and, of it. You know, I'm kind of amazed at the people who think that they're not. But, you know, here's Kihei who had much less of a pedigree and walked into a much more, you know, upper-class-led squad, you know, when you had Jerome mm-hmm. and Guy. Um, and yet, you know, we saw an awful lot. I mean, it was second game of the season, and he was starting getting 30 minutes a game, as you know, playing in a three-guard offense. Yeah. And it, so yeah. Bennett has proven that he's willing to play two-point guards. He prefers to play two-point guards. He prefers yeah. it. And he said that as much. And, you know, Kihei was such a stroke of luck. You know, I always compared him to Harold Dean because, you know, Dean, he saved that 93-94 season and he saved that Elite Eight season. And he's another guy who, you know, when he went to Fork Union and when 
Fletcher Arrett told Jeff Jones that, you know, this freshman, incoming freshman Harold Dean was going to start for him. Jones laughed in his face. Harold Dean was, was a nobody recruit coming in to school. And, you know, look what, what he became. And, and Kihei is a very similar level. But, you know, Kihei is just a baller. I, I remember when I watched him play as, as a senior in high school, I was like, if this kid were 6'3", he'd be a top 50 recruit because he is good. He is good. Yeah. And I, game after game I watched, he was clearly the best player on the floor. And I was not watching them play, you know, little 2A rural schools. You know, I was watching these games because they were intriguing matchups because I wanted to, you know, you always want to see them playing against other potential Division One talent. And he's just good. And I, I think he's going to have a great year. He. I saw a little film of him. You know, he, he he got to go out to Vegas and play on the same court as NBA players, and, and he's gotten bigger in terms of, you know, just filling out. He's got a man's body now. He's going to be just that much stronger. He's experienced, um, and he's going to have more space to operate. I, I think he's going to have a great year, and I think Jay Huff's going to have a monster year. I, I, I'm expecting that from him. Um, I think we maybe underrate some of the stuff that he did this past season. Uh, he was really, really coming into his own, coming down the stretch of the season. Had some well, huge you know, games. He had uh, ten blocks versus Duke, and fifteen I mean, points. Just, yeah, I know, but it's ten blocks. Yeah. you know, I mean that's just that's just hard to do. I mean, yeah. First of all, you have to have a, a, an opponent that's willing to shoot that much inside the paint right where you are to say, hey, come and block me, and he did. Um, I'm not as bullish as, as you are on Huff, um, but, you know, Huff has continued to progress. You know, I was so impressed last year, uh, you know, in terms of how he was hedging. And... yeah. He was a force hedging, and mm-hmm. and and both he and Mamadi. I mean, I, I love you know I love Saul, and he was good at that. But they actually became a force hedging. I mean, they were finally able to do stop the 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 guard penetration. Mm-hmm. I mean, as opposed to just sort of make them reorient. And he still never got burnt back baseline. And I I can look at it on paper like, how does this not how does this happen? But it's the thousand he, minutes. He was really, really good. Yeah, well, he's, he's quick. And, you know, here's the other thing is, you know, Huff got married over the summer. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So, yeah, it just saw a, a, a Facebook uh, a Facebook post. So he um, will have to see whether or not married life uh, agrees with him um, <laughs> or whether or not his wife saps his strength. That's right. Um, but we'll have all season. So, hope. He needs to grow his hair he's out. getting that worked out now, right? You know, so. Samson, grow the hair out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, there'll be plenty to talk about, plenty of storylines, you know, two, possibly three freshmen, and then, you know, we still got, you know, Casey Morsell and what's left of his battered psyche to see mm-hmm. if, uh, if he's able to recover. And you know, play the way that we hope, and that I'm sure he hopes he can he can play. So, um, I mean, I'm seeing polls saying that we're you know we're one of the top five ten you know five teams in the country. Oh yeah. Um, certainly, Vegas is saying we're one of the money is saying that we're one of the five mm-hmm. best teams in the country. And you know, this is this is rarefied air. We we've, we've been this way now under Bennett for six or seven seasons, and it's. Still a damn good time to be uh, Oahu. This team is alone with the last two years, uh, you know, prior to this previous one, and having the the real top tier, um, you know, talent, and and that that's that's why it works. I, this recruiting class and and Hauser um, just really brings a lot and fills the gaps. So 
Yeah, it's definitely it's 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 uh, an exciting season. Yeah, and we're gonna be yeah. here for it. So we will. Uh, yeah, we are. We will be here every week. This is. So we'll we'll talk more basketball. We'll get into some more about the players and breaking down, uh, you know, what they did last year and, and how that how that looks for what they're going to do this year. So, and hopefully we'll have more schedule information next week. So, if they're practicing, they've got to be they've got to be ready to release something. Yeah, so we will be uh, we'll be looking for that. So, um, we'll just close by uh, saying, you know, we're we're glad that you've recovered. Uh, successfully from COVID, you get to have that number that says, I was, you know, number 7 million or something like that to uh, to acquire it, but we're Well, I'm still debating, well and, thank uh, you, I'm still debating whether a sense of smell is a blessing or a curse. I, I mean, it... <laughs> <laughs> uh, for my wife, it's a curse, let me tell you. <laughs> I would not mind if she lost her sense of smell. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Okay, that wraps up Season 3, Episode 1. We'll be back uh, next week. Same Who channel, same Who place. All right, wow, wow.